0: Sutra 31 The Fourth Bhumi Through practice of asanas, pranayama, and pratyahara, supreme mastery over the senses follows. As a result of this, the veil over the inner light is destroyed. The surreal nature of spirit was beyond what my reality could perceive. Things that had happened in past lives. appearing in the present as if these strands were fine silk threads being weaved. And so I thought about death, and I wondered if the end is just a veil that lifts. We should pay attention to everything a dying person says, because behind that veil are our final gifts. What's going on here? My reality is starting to blur. Things that happened long ago are reappearing and it's so surreal and obscure."
1: The yugas are changing,"
0: said the firefly. What do you mean by that? The yugas?
1: It's like seasons for the cosmos, where everything is rearranging,"
0: said the firefly. Can you tell me more about these yugas?
1: They are certain ages, or if you think of life and death like a play, then these ages are different chapters or stages. We sing and dance when we find a body upon the earth. We live for a lifetime as we experience life upon the earth. We have been living in the age dominated by Asuras who are jealous and selfish. They are plotting wars against the angels and God to challenge them for dominion over the universe. If the Asuras were to use this power for good, They could be very beneficial to the entire universe. But rather, they use their life to hoard wealth, possess material things, live selfishly, and so they bring forth a great curse. Now the age we are in is not all that bad. Although it is very extreme, degraded, and intense, a spiritual seeker's progression happens very fast. Asuras can achieve great things, But they can also make great mistakes, and cannot be trusted with authority. They can even develop great powers, but they do not become rishis."
0: Said the Firefly. A Rishi?
1: A Rishi is a saint, or a great monk. We can call them enlightened sages. They are the ones who would be called Buddhas, who compose hymns of the Vedas, that bring forth truth throughout the various ages
0: said the firefly. In these ages, we are most certainly in the age of destruction and war. How will it change and can you tell me about the time when peace will be restored?
1: Let me tell you about the golden age, where no one bothers to talk because all communication is telepathic. Everything is mental in that age and there is no use for any of the sense organs. People eat mentally take in their life force directly with their minds. Even reproduction is mental, just like how the Virgin Mary bore Jesus. Yet these types of stories in the current age are very hard to find. In this golden age, there is no disease, no discord, and nothing to interfere with spiritual practices. This is a future age, where there is only righteousness, and there is no fear that anyone will attack us
0: said the firefly. And how do we get there? How do we change from where we are to where we are going in this golden age? What shift must take place so we can bring about this change?
1: Just as every life comes to a close, there is the finality of death. If life were an inhale, then death is the exhale or the out breath. We are at the end of the outbreath and you can see societies and communities being destroyed. There are many natural calamities, as the Bible calls this the end time, where many people fall into fear rather than find joy. But we must not forget that death is not what it seems. We are all actors and actresses in the Creator's grand dream,"
0: said the Firefly. So are we trapped? And how do we get free? How can we bring forth the good change in the world that so many innocent people and children desperately
1: need? Before we leap into telepathy and the opening of the third eye, we must examine the idea of what it means when something comes to die. Death is a change, the bottom of the out-breath. Like a warrior sleeping upon their tomb, death is simply a bit of much needed rest. Death and sleep are not different, they are one in the same. We close our eyes for rest, then we are reborn the next day. Then the soul arises, and so we come back. We are free in ourselves. But so many are stuck in their limiting beliefs that they alone are a body, and so they come forth to fight and attack. Many people today are stuck in that mentality. They possess the land and their things. They are afraid of change because of the uncertainty that it brings. In this yuga, we receive most of our nourishment from food through the mouth. And what more? We talk with little or no telepathy, and that is why it's so hard to see clearly when not even our world leaders understand what the age of truth is all about. In this age, they say that the best penance is repetition of the name of God. This idea of chanting, praying, and mantra controls everything we do with our mouths, and this then purifies our mind, spirit, and body. Although this age of darkness, misery, and quarrels surrounds us on all sides, there is no need for this darkness to exist or control us on the inside. As long as you have your mind and sense organs, then you can control and cultivate your spiritual practices. You can create the golden age of truth within you and become a real master."
0: Said the Firefly. But how?
1: This is what the Rishis do when they live on Earth. Before dawn they would practice Samadhi, which is the perfect equilibrium of consciousness in which the mind is indifferent, still or inactive for many hours. You must realize that they were not doing this for selfish reasons and they were not trying to gain any wealth, fame, or superpowers. Rather, a rishi's life embodied the eight limbs of yoga, the yamas, niyamas, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharna, dhyana, and samadhi,
0: said the firefly. Then is this path the way that the children of life can be saved?
1: Yes, we can become shining ones and so they are called devas,"
0: said the firefly. Now the firefly began to shine, and there it brought forth light from within. This did not appear to be easy, yet it was simple, and so I knew that it begins with the yogic eight limbs.
1: Know that perfect equilibrium of consciousness is a difficult thing to achieve during the age of darkness we are in. There are so many distractions. Having sufficient time is not the problem, but rather on the contrary, you can make progress very fast. In the golden age of truth, it takes 10,000 years to even catch a glimpse of God, because everything and everyone is so pure. God is in no hurry to appear to anyone then, since they are all devoted. But in the age of darkness and misery, the force of illusion is so powerful that only a few people want to worship God and most of the world doesn't know how to do it effectively in this age God feels so lonely that so few are remembering and loving and for those who do remember God can appear very easily this is the best age for spiritual practice but we must also not get caught in the illusion of progress for that is a great test many want to achieve their own goal But the real practice is to help others find God and become their best. This is who the devas embody. They shine bright like fire and ignite the light in the hearts of others. They give up on no one, because they see the soul and the entire world as their sisters and brothers,"
0: said the Firefly. I looked around the room we were in, and these walls were covered in all sorts of doors. Some were tall or thin others fat were wide. They were painted in different colors, but I didn't know what they were for. There was even a dark staircase with no door heading down, but I didn't go near its steps. Something so surreal made me remember this place, but my reality was still perplexed. Well
1: what's next? You must choose a door, and there you will find the path. Since you have begun your journey It is best to finish it, and above all, do not turn back,"
0: said the Firefly. Surely these doors are not the same. Then will one lead me wrong? Which door should I choose? Oh dearest Firefly, where do I belong? As the Firefly came before me, it hovered over my left eye. It began to descend upon me, as if it would cover my pupil and all my sight.
1: You see me as a firefly, but when I first met you, I was your guardian angel disguised as a ladybug. I looked over you through the very worst of it, and I was the embodiment of your deepest hope and love. When you evolved spiritually, I did too. And I only realized this glow when the light began coming out from within you. Don't you remember when they took you beyond the brass door I was the ladybug within yourself, and I'll be with you forevermore,"
0: said the firefly. At that moment, my third eye opened, and I could see. I saw myself locked upon the fourth floor, where my spiritual essence was trapped within my own body. I remembered it was up to us, to fight our way free. As a prisoner to ego, I was led behind a giant brass door, and that's when a knife pierced open my sight when my third eye began to see. With the third eye open, I could gain energy from the sun. I became like a sponge around others, as if I could eat, sleep, drink, or love with my eyes. I began to look at men as if they were the Divine Father. And when I looked at all women, I'd picture them as if they were the Divine Mother. What I thought was a tragedy then? was the pain and suffering that shook me awake, a shining one in training. The Great Spirit knew far before me that something major was at stake. Now various doors waited before me, and I focused upon each where I could truly see. These were pathways into truth, and behind the doors were the embodiments of God that different religions called deities. A name and a form. That's what I saw in these different doors. They were all pathways to God, but the choice was up to me as to how my spiritual essence would transform. The doors were closed, but with the third eye, I could see far beyond. What I'm trying to say is that behind every one of these doors was a unique pathway, which could be called a religion, to God. As I studied each door, these were like temples and shrines carved from marble. Just a glance at the door, and I could feel the presence of the great saints, martyrs, disciples, and apostles. These pathways and doors were designated for those humans who took the great spiritual pilgrimage. After all, God came into human form, because God made us in God's image. It is so much easier to worship God with a human form. Can you comprehend The immensity of the totality of the billions of galaxies? Not quite. But we are able to comprehend the compassionate eyes of Jesus or the captivating eyes of Krishna. Each door was like a set of eyes, which were windows to the soul. So many different types of eyes in the world to behold. But there have never been eyes like the eyes of Krishna or Jesus. Their eyes make you go mad when you look into them. Mad with love. Krishna's eyes are bewitching. They are so full of sweetness that they turn you into a lunatic. And Jesus' eyes? His eyes are brimming over with divine compassion. Oh my God! When I think of the eyes of Jesus, I think of his chest. So broad it must have been to gather everyone in and to take over all their karma. To be able to say, Come unto me. And so I began to wonder which door was right for me. This is something that I spent a long time thinking about lately. The fact is, I was born and brought up as a Catholic Christian, and now here I am, in the ancient practice of yoga, studying the masters of the East. I know that I am a great devotee of Jesus, but I was curious if there was some contradiction here.
1: Well, have you forgotten Jesus? Do you still love him?
0: Asked the Firefly. Yes, I do, I replied.
1: Good, because if you had told me otherwise, I would have told you to get out. What is a deity after all? A deity is the one consciousness expressed in a particular way, a certain aspect of reality which comes as a specific form. All human deities are therefore limited to some degree. Jesus was a great being, but even he had some limitations. So did Rama, Sita, and Krishna. So did Shiva, Kali, and Muhammad. Any being that has a name and form is limited, if only by that name and form. Same goes for each pathway or door. But when we look to God, it is true That the highest is beyond all name and form, which is why some choose not to worship the deities at all. We can worship the one behind the deities, and to respect and appreciate the deities for how well they have helped humanity during their time upon earth. But there is never a good reason to murder those who have taken birth to worship a certain deity. It barely matters which way you pick, You will discover God in whatever form you imagine him or her to be. So as long as you are to worship with love and sincerity,"
0: said the Firefly. So it is only when I distinguish one deity from another as if they were really different that there is a contradiction?
1: Exactly. You have worshipped Jesus since you were born. Can you forget Jesus now, even if you wanted to? never. Jesus will never let go of your hand. Even if you try to flee from him, that is the depth of his compassion for you. But neither will he interfere, nor will he be upset, if you also want to worship God in another form. Jesus cares nothing for form. He cares only for pure love. Since you began by worshiping Jesus, then there will be an aspect of you that must continue to worship Jesus. However, You personally can make a faster connection to the divine by how you perform your spiritual practices because of the negative traits in the personality which need to be removed. This is where the eight limbs of yoga come in,"
0: said the Firefly. Yes, so we've covered the Yamas and the Niyamas, but can you teach me about the other limbs of yoga?
1: How about I let you discover them through an old friend,
0: said the Firefly. We were in some waiting area, or maybe this was a doctor's office with different doors around the room. The closest door was painted dark blue with metal spikes over the top, then the one beside it was fat and red with reeds draped over, and then there was a skinny yellow door that seemed a bit too small. My eye scanned past the pink door on the left, only to a handful of tools beside the light blue door on our right. Every door remained closed, except the dark staircase heading down, while I stood beside the two chairs with straps and restraints hanging from them. Have a seat, said the Firefly. This could have been a madhouse, or maybe a mental institution. I had a feeling that someone might bombard us and tie me down to one of these chairs. The Firefly flew towards an old screen, and so I calmly took a seat. My limbs rested on the metal armrests while I took in a deep breath and felt at ease. I think I've been here before. I came with others. Where's our family?
1: Yes, they're around here somewhere. You'll have a chance to see them, but first we've got a few things on the agenda,
0: said the Firefly. The Firefly reached up toward the power button on the screen, then she buzzed back and got a flying start before she collided with the power button as the screen turned on.
1: This will help explain
0: things, said the Firefly. Our reflection stared back from the blank screen before an electric vision came to life. A film began playing when a man wearing white came forward. He was a humble being, with a beard and a gentle expression. I recognized him. We are here to continue God's legacy, said the man. Each one of us is called to fulfill a piece of the pyramid's prophecy, and every path depends on each choice. God is watching, and so are the ancestors." This man in white came forward with his hands together in prayer. You may be wondering, who am I? said the man. Yes, now how do I know you? I am loving awareness. He said as he walked a bit closer on the screen towards us. If you've made it here, then the Holy Spirit awaits you. Together, we exist in this moment, here and now, caught between the living and the dead, and nowhere else. Before long, it'll have been twenty-eight years since I had my stroke, and I'm so thankful you came back, he said. The screen switched scenes before visions from his past overtook this projection. Then the man in white reappeared while a flag floated behind him. These were prayer flags, with a wind horse running upon them, and there in the middle I saw a canvas with a great monkey opening up his bleeding heart on fire. This was the great one named Hanuman. Nothing to be and nowhere to go. After all, we are just walking each other home," said the humble man. Voices and people chanted through the sound beacons around the screen. They prayed ancient prayers, but this old projection felt like a distant dream. The man continued, As every body must die, the realm of the Great Pyramid remains unscathed, and all those who choose greed, anger, and wickedness, then in time all the ignorance must be swept away. The projection changed where I saw wildflowers and people seated in a circle. They were gathered in a meadow while the man taught these people sacred postures. Wind chimes sang, and there I saw mushrooms growing out from the ground. Certainly this was taking place upon earth, and only a feeling of heavenly bliss could be found. Love all, serve all, and remember God. I promise we will not lead you astray. Follow me and I will show you the way. I will never forget you. I will never forsake you. Listen, listen, listen to my heart's song. I will never forget you. I will never forsake you," he sung. I looked closer at his gray beard, and that's when I realized he was in a surveillance room. What are we doing? Time to bloom, he said. Dido? Not quite. He winked. Look at me no different than a mirror, for I am the same as you. We are together, and together we are the true nature. It is all of us, the great Sangha, the ancient seer, he said. My eyes locked onto him. I began to remember the rumors that spread about him inside the great order, but his pale face had grown tattered from the memory I'd imagined all those years ago. Which path do I take? The path of love. The path of the heart. The path of emotion, relationship, dualism, taking you into the essence of love, taking you from loving to being love. It is the path of the heart, he said. How did you come here? I didn't know if you would ever find us, but I believed that the Guru's grace would bring us back on track. You may not understand it, but after I had my stroke, I waited and waited, and I prayed that the teachings would remain intact. But you didn't need me as a living teacher. You followed your intuition instead. The intuition knows more than the mind of the wealthiest king. You followed the intuition, and it brought us together after they called my body dead," he said. It's okay. I remember you. You're Dido. They said you are the savior of, savior of nothing. It is not I, this is not about me, but rather together we illuminate this path, all of us, and so the guru lives on in the Sangha that is made up of the we. The guru is the community. It is not about one alone. You cannot give credit to one person or seed. You must give credit to the sun, which makes all things grow. The luminous spiritual sun is our north star, and we both followed it here. Be here now, and that's why we can smile at fear," he winked. His eyes were so soft, and he was completely calm before I realized I was on my knees in front of the video screen. But I don't get it. What does all this mean? It must have taken so much courage to get here, but I must explain about what lies within. Some of the bodies upon the earth are possessed, others are great sages and saints in disguise, but all of us are here because we have the Bodhi seed of greatness within. You have found this mountain because you were willing to risk your life, and the ego could never make it here, and so the honest soul lives on, but the ego will not survive," he said. Survive? What are you talking about? Life in this pyramid acts like an incubator for the cosmic realm. Long ago, the people fought within these walls for control, and just like a great ship, everyone wanted to take hold of the helm. When Jesus died, there was great confusion for who would control the teachings. Just like when Muhammad passed on, the true legacy was overcome when the political priests sought control and began preaching. The truth is love, but so many leaders cling to power and do not know how to let go. Whatever happens out there in the world happens both above and below," he paused. And as for the pain we feel, well, it is here to guide us and show us the way. Sometimes we must endure good teaching to ensure that each lesson stays. We are so close to liberation. Can't you see the very end? It is a time to be very clear, because one careless mistake could cost us everything. That is why I am here with you. Never put the eye before us. Never again will we make that mistake. You must live a life of service to benefit all of
1: us." He was stuck for so many years, but never left us,
0: whispered the Firefly. My choices brought me here, and we must accept our karma and soon you will have to make a new choice as well. Choose the intuition. It will lead you along the path of the Dharma," he said. But how? And why? When I was my brightest, and so was the sun, it wasn't dawn summoning me. We were summoning us as one," he said. Without warning, the door behind him broke open when a great sun began to illuminate the crown of his head. The vision changed, and I saw memory as his body was dying, and there he laid upon his deathbed. Death didn't look evil to begin with, but it only took another moment until I knew for sure. The love broke out from his spirit, where I understood what the real value of life was lived for. Love broke open again and again as it emerged out through his face, chest, and legs bright light shone out on the ceiling as his body came closer to death. Love continued to emit from him, and the light of the sun emerged again and again and again until his body couldn't move. Tears streaming, extravagant weeping, and powerful noises echoed, but I couldn't stop watching. I watched until they took his body off the screen and out into a hallway. Only the trail of light was left while I laid upon the floor. Wrapping my arms around the screen, I felt an uncontrollable sobbing shake my body before the video turned black. He left us alone, and so it was done.
1: The Great Spirit commands it,
0: whispered the Firefly. I turned around toward the Firefly, and there I saw the humble man's glowing light. He was not living in a body, but rather, he had come back to us and his essence was pure and bright. Then a moment later, a new man rose out from the dark staircase leading down, and he held the same light as the man who had just passed. No one else was brave enough to stand near the dark abyss, and I knew this was him because it was the same radiance I had once found. My God, but how? God doesn't need to explain why everything happens. All I can say is that we all have a choice, and I choose to serve Krishna, which is the light within all of you. Choose the path of the heart, and God will watch over you. But may I make one suggestion? You don't have to take the dark staircase down. You've already been there. You've already retrieved those lessons that were meant to be found." The second man winked. The abyss rumbled like an empty stomach, begging for a meal. The murmuring echoed until his aura stepped away from it. And it's best you fulfill your soul contract sooner than later. The longer it takes, the worse it could get. You can continue on as far as you'd like, but it's impossible to leave this place without fulfilling your soul contract. The Great Spirit commands this," he said. He was so cheery, and for a moment I thought of him like a divine squirrel. Oh, what in the world? And why have you come? To teach you, and then we will depart. But never forget that we are all the loving awareness that lives within the center of all hearts," he said. And where will you go? I'd like to explore the rest of our universe now. Would you believe that? Everyone who died is having so much fun. Why, I'm sure they didn't forget about you. But it's just that, well? The universe within and beyond the pyramid is magnificent, all the levels are. What levels? Twenty-eight levels to be exact. For the twenty-eight mansions of the moon, he said. Where? It's everywhere. Behind these doors, it's in and out, up and down, he said. Then what is this place? Oh goodness, you don't know where you are. No one's told you? This is it. You're right in between everything you'll ever need, and the Great Spirit preserved it perfectly," he said. And you said I must fulfill my soul contract. Then where must I go? Tell me all that is needed. You must reveal everything there is to know. Back to the eight limbs. We've covered the yamas and the niyamas, and now it is time for asana practice. Asana is a steady, comfortable posture, and while we do this, We observe our breathing happening," he said. What's asana? Around his body was a body of great light. Had he even a form? And somehow, I could only picture him as emptiness within invisible sight. Asana means the posture that brings comfort and steadiness. Any pose that brings this comfort and steadiness is asana. If you can achieve one pose, that is enough. It may sound easy, but in how many poses are we really comfortable and steady? As soon as we sit, in a particular position, there may be a small cramp here, a tiny pain there. We have to move this way and that way. Continuously, we are reminded of our legs, hands, hips, and spine. Unless the body is perfectly healthy and free from all toxins and tension, a comfortable pose is not easily obtained. Physical and mental toxins create stiffness and tension. Anything that makes us stiff can also break us. Only if we are supple will we never break. That reminds me of a conversation between a weed and a big tree. Both grew on the bank of a swiftly running jungle river. One day, the tree looked down at the tiny weed and said, Hey, you puny little creature, why don't you stand near me? Aren't you ashamed to be by my side? See how great, how big, how tall I am, how sturdy and strong? Even an elephant cannot move me. But look at you, haha! You shouldn't have come here. People will see the difference and laugh at you. Why don't you move somewhere else?" The weed bent its head. Tree, the weed said. What can I do? I didn't come here purposely. I just happened to be here. I know I'm not strong and stiff like you, but please pardon my presence. Alright, boomed the big tree, but just remember your place. This conversation happened during the rainy season, and the very next day, a heavy rain came, overflowing the jungle and causing a terrible flood. When a river floods, it erodes the bank and pulls down anything in its way, coming in such force. The water pulled down the great tree instantly. But the weed bent down, flattened itself completely, and let the water run over it. When the flood passed, the weed rose up again, looking this way and that way. It wondered, what happened to the great tree? I don't see it. From far away, it heard the tree's reply, I'm being pulled down by the river. I should have been humble and simple and supple like you. Now I'm being destroyed," said the tree. What we need is the strength of steel and with the steel's flexibility. Not crude like iron, which is very strong and hard, but breaks. The body must be so supple that it can bend any way you want it to. Such a body will always be healthy and tension-free. The moment we sit down for meditation in such a body, we'll forget about the body. In order to achieve such a meditative pose, we may practice many preliminary poses. This is why Hatha Yoga was created. People trying to sit quietly found they couldn't do it. They encountered pain, stiffness, bile, gas, among other things, and thought, what is the reason for these things, and how do we get rid of them? They realized it was due to the toxins from eating the wrong foods at the wrong times and in the wrong quantities. These people pondered, what is the good food that won't leave toxins? What should the limit be? And when is the proper time to eat? Then they formed the yogic diet. The next problem was what to do with the toxins already inside the body. They concluded that these could be gotten rid of by squeezing the body into different directions. For example, they found the way to cleanse the liver spleen and intestines was by doing the forward bending pose, tanasana, which is sitting down with the legs out, bending forward and putting pressure on the stomach for a bit. If this wasn't enough, they developed yoga mudra in order to put a little more pressure on it. If toxins were still present, they came up with Mairasana, the peacock pose. If this still wasn't good enough, they created Uddiyana Bandha the stomach lift, and Nauli, the stomach churning. When the spine was stiff and didn't want to move, they employed postures that bent it forward, backward, sideways, and upside down. Although Hatha Yoga is several thousands of years old, it never becomes outdated. The truths of it are always current. They are like gold. Although some things lose their value according to time, gold is always the same. It is also necessary to understand the implication of the word steady. Steadiness does not mean merely the capacity to remain perfectly still, but rather, we have the freedom to make minor adjustments from time to time. We are breathing into the tension we feel, and we can challenge ourselves with this. But our focus can be placed on the breath, so we can remain steady. A particular asana is considered to be mastered when a person can maintain it steadily and easily for 4 hours and 20 minutes," he said. After this, the spirit of the humble man went on to teach me all of the yogic postures, like a mirror or a shadow. He would watch over me for hours and hours. Upon discovering all the yogic poses, I had a question which intrigued me. Excuse me Ragunath, what do you really think about the story of the tree? The big tree might have been mean, but I don't like how it floats away. Is there any chance that all trees are equal, and that all trees can remain? When you go into the woods, and you look at the trees, you see all these different trees, and some of them are bent, and some of them are straight, and some of them are evergreens, and some of them are unusual or unique, and you look at the tree and allow it. You see why it is the way it is. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light, and so it turned out that way. And you don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. You appreciate all of the trees. But the minute we get near humans, we seem to lose all that. And we are constantly saying, you're to this, or I'm to that. That judging mind comes in. And so, I practice turning people into trees which means appreciating them just the way they are," he said. Ah, so, yes, now you know. By lessening the natural tendency for restlessness and by meditating on the infinite, posture is mastered. Because the senses want to taste many things, we load the system with toxins. Instead, we should control these things. Also, we can achieve steadiness meditation on the infinite. Anything great, huge, well-settled or well-established. Tiny things always shake, so we can think of the earth, or how steady a huge mountain is. If the body becomes still, it is easier to make the mind still. Just sit quietly for three hours in a row, with no movement whatsoever, even without winking, then everything will be accomplished. If we sit that long, the mind comes under our control automatically. Through the body, we can put a break on the mind. The mind will always think, it's time to move, or I should get up and go, or I'm hungry, I must get something to eat, or man, wouldn't a root beer be nice? But if we decide, I'm not moving for three hours, the mind ultimately has to obey us, because it needs the body's cooperation in order to get anything. That is the benefit of asana, or postures. We use the body to train the mind. The other means recommended for acquiring this steadiness is meditation on anatta, which is the great serpent which according to Hindu mythology upholds the earth. You may wonder, what is this serpent all about? It is the symbolic representation of the force which maintains the equilibrium of the earth and keeps it in its orbit around the sun. This force is similar to a gyroscope, which keeps equilibrium. The body tends to deviate from a fixed position and has to acquire the tendency to come back to its position of stability automatically. So meditation, Ananata, the serpent, symbolizes this kind of balance. We are fusing the mind into balance, and this happens when we ponder deeply or meditate an idea which can open up a channel for the influx of its corresponding power," he said. And what happens once we do this? After this is mastered, one is not disturbed by dualities. By mastering the practice of asana, or sacred postures, you are no longer affected by dualities. Neither gain nor loss affects you, not hot or cold. You become neutral. Just by posture alone, you can rise above the dualities because the mind is under control. Even if you want to cry, the mind will ask you for permission first. And during these postures, where do we focus? Just on the body, or on stillness of the mind? Once firm posture is acquired, we focus on the inhalation and exhalation of the breath. This is called pranayama, or the life force of breath. And so I ask you this, how many days could you go without food? How many days without water? Now how long without breath? Prana is the cosmic force of our breath, because without our breath, nothing moves or lives. It's not easy to control prana, and so this practice takes time. This prana is like a reserve tank of energy, and a hundred times greater than the power of food that we normally use. This breath practice of pranayama can release what is called kundalini, or the coiled force. People talk about rousing kundalini, but one should only do it after qualifying and preparing himself or herself. It is for our own safety that I say this, he said. And can you explain this pranayama deeper? Isn't breathing just something that is natural? You are saying you want me to focus on the breath. Pranayama is the regulation of breathing. The modification of the life force are either external, internal, or stationary. They are to be regulated by space, time, and number, and are either short or long. Here we can use retention of breath either on the exhalation or inhalation. One should be very careful about retention, and it should be practiced under the personal guidance of a teacher. Prana is very powerful. We shouldn't play with cobras without a proper cobra trainer nearby. By regulating prana, we regulate our minds, because the two always go together. If one is controlled, the other is automatically controlled as well. Control and discipline are very necessary in our lives. Without discipline, nothing can be achieved. The whole world functions in a regulated orderly way. If everything were merely haphazard, no great scientific inventions could be possible, nor would they be necessary. If the sun, moon, and earth didn't rotate in a disciplined way, how could we survive? So many wonder, do all these disciplines exist to enslave us? No, they are for our own safety. Otherwise, we might not know our own limitations. Do the proper research to discover different breathing techniques from the masters, and incorporate these into a daily routine, then over time you will see great changes in your mind and life," he said. So even though breathing may sound basic, there is actually a lot to it, even different methods and types. Yes, there are many methods of count, retention, pace, or differences. There is a fourth kind of pranayama that occurs during concentration on an internal or external object. The fourth type of pranayama happens automatically. We do not have to concentrate on retention of breath here because it will stop automatically by concentrating the mind on a chosen object or idea. This unintentional retention occurs automatically in deep meditation. When the mind comes to a standstill or is indifferent, If at that time we examine our breath, we will hardly be breathing. Think about how the breath works with different aspects of life. If someone shares terrible news, the breath might stop. When we are playing sport, we need lots of breath. If we are barely talking, we might not need much. Prana is like a battery level, and wherever the mind goes, the prana flows. If the mind is very positive, you will feel uplifted and joyful, and if the mind is negative, you might feel very down and out. But we can use pranayama, asana, and awareness to shift our mind space to refill our energy back up. So first we learn to control the physical body with asana, then the movement of the breath, then the senses, and finally the mind. It is very scientific, gradual, and simple," he said. But I must ask. Sometimes when I look at you, I don't see you as a body. You yourself are pure light. How has this happened? As a result of all this, the veil over the inner light is destroyed. There is light within us all, but it is covered by a veil of mental darkness. What is the best way to remove a veil? By pulling the threads out, one by one, until it exists no more. This is the practice of yoga. It is a practice of purification to our natural state of luminosity. The mind is a veil woven of thoughts, much like the body is woven of cells, bones, blood, and tissues. The appearance is always changing, but the essence cannot be destroyed. Einstein went to great lengths to prove that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It simply always has been and always will be. As long as we identify with the body or mind, we feel we are mortal. Pranayama helps us to understand the oneness, the never-changing one, because it removes the veil, and it is a simple practice," he said. And in the vision, when you died, you seemed to do it just right. Can you explain this? I myself am afraid of dying, like so many others, but in the vision, it seemed you weren't even bothered. When the senses withdraw themselves from the objects and imitate the nature of the mind, we call this Pratyahara. Pratyahara means withdrawing the senses. In essence, the organs should be offered to God's service. When the mind is withdrawn from these sense objects, the sense organs also withdraw themselves from their respective objects, and thus are said to imitate the mind. If the senses are allowed to see outside, they try to grasp pictures of the outside world. If they are turned inward, they will see the purity of the mind and won't take the color of the world outside. The senses are like a mirror. Turned outward, they reflect the outside. Turned inward, they reflect the pure light. By themselves, the senses are innocent, but when allowed to turn outside, they attract everything and transfer those messages to the mind, making it restless. Turned inward, they find peace by taking the form of the mind itself. The senses are, in effect, a gateway that allows the external to come into the mind. That's why when we concentrate on something holy, the mind takes that form. When the mind retains it, we get those pictures even in our dreams. When we have sense control, we only allow the mind to take the forms we want. Imagine spiritual pursuits. Temples and churches contain holy things everywhere. Beautiful ornaments, flowers, fine dresses to be worn, shiny golden objects, all a feast to the eyes. By burning incense, the nose is catered to. By music, the ears. Pratyahara is another way of controlling the mind. To gain mastery in it is not easy. You shouldn't delude yourself in thinking you've gained mastery even after a few years of practice. Any minute there can be a slip. To achieve the full value of yoga, we must stick to all these precautions and qualify ourselves. Yoga is not only for the person who eats a lot or for one who starves. Yoga is not just for the person who sleeps too much or for the one who always keeps vigil. We shouldn't go to extremes, but should have limitations he said and by doing this prabhu then we have control over the mind then follow supreme mastery over the senses by the proper practice of pratyahara your senses come fully under your control they become obedient horses taking you wherever you want you become a complete master over them we shouldn't think we lost anything by avoiding sensual pleasures if our senses try to pull us somewhere We should feel, no, I'm not going to satisfy you. Although we might feel a little tension at first, it's just momentary. After that, we feel proud and think, ah, I've gained some mastery. If we satisfy the senses, we might feel momentary pleasure followed by a greater dejection after. The happiness we can receive by mastery lasts longer than temporary joys. We should all become masters, That is true freedom and real victory. If you are free from your own mind and senses, nothing can bind you. Then you are really free. Even imperial power, even dictatorship, can never bind you. You are not afraid of anything. This isn't the birthright of just a few people, it is everyone's. But we should build up our mastery, never allowing the mind to fall back. If we have control, we can do whatever we want find peace and joy within, and share the same with all humanity," he said. Then there is no need to fight fire with fire, I suppose, using harsh measures to eliminate my own harshness. It is just a difference between a gold sword and an iron sword. Both are used to cut through the snares that bind us to the world. Lust, anger, greed, delusion, envy, shame, fear, and disgust. What difference does a gold sword make versus an iron sword? If they both cut, they can be used. This is the same as the very ancient pathways to God, or the more recent pathways to God. They still get us to the same place," he said. And with that, the man disappeared. His light escaped from my view, but I had a great feeling that he was always looking over me and you. Examining the room, I felt so much wisdom and now I was left without a yearning for more. All that was left was the path ahead, and I began to understand that I had to go through one of these many doors.
1: So which door will you pick? Or is it even up to you? Which door do you choose? Go on and show us. Which pathway will you pursue?"
0: said the Firefly. I did not believe it was up to me, and so I faced all these doors which I had never entered before. Hail Mary, full of grace, Jai Ma! May I serve the earth, the creatures, the people, and the children of life that I most adore. So, which door? It must be this door, the one with the feather behind the sword. All the doors looked exotic and colorful, as if they held a secret reward. But I was not after riches or anything to gain. I am going beyond name and form, but I am fascinated about that sword. It makes me wonder if there was such a weapon that could break down a brass door. And maybe, just maybe, that is what I am called here for.
1: Now you see, we've reached the fourth boomy. The fourth boomy is called Radiating Light. It is like the rays of fire, like a flame or a beam of light that destroys the desires for further achievement and further indulgence in spiritual development. At this point, the one who has departed upon the path becomes highly competent, so they are willing to disregard their desire for even the Dharma. They begin to see through that. Even devotion to a deity is seen as a desire and is disregarded. Here, the transcendent virtue, or paramita, that goes with the fourth bhumi is exertion. And so we think of joyful exertion. The elements of earth, water, fire, air, and space are never exhausted, but always present. The spiritual seeker says, In the same way sentient beings depend on the elements for their life, so may I sustain them. It is energy that works extremely hard. There is no hesitation in cutting your own spiritual materialism. You no longer regard yourself as a leader or an important person. You are willing to mingle with simple people. You no longer preach the Dharma, but just simply teach. The patience of the third Bhumi provides a lot of energy and power. And on the fourth Bhumi, you develop sharpness and penetration. You know how to handle your laziness, and you are willing to work. At the same time, you have a desire for simplicity there is still the drive to reach others, but there is also the desire to be alone. Due to the element of cutting and destroying spiritual materialism, even your desire to save all sentient beings is seen as self-aggrandizement. You want to pull back from that, and you are almost willing to retire. When you work very hard, you cannot help feel that you have achieved something. You feel proud, So there is a need for humbleness. Humbleness is important not only for your own development, but also to demonstrate that a person on the path of the fourth Bhumi is not athletic in their pursuit of enlightenment. Exertion can be very harsh. But if there is no egolessness, no humility, no softness, it is ever difficult to practice the paramita of exertion. You need to be able to communicate as well as being humble. In the Paramita of exertion, hard work comes from joy. You have the right situation psychologically, physically, and environmentally, and you are not afraid of anything. You are not seduced into indulging the emotions or using them as a form of entertainment. You aren't thrown by sudden changes in your situation, such as losing your job or inheriting a billion dollars. You remain steady,"
0: said the Firefly. The firefly was like a fairy, and there it followed over my shoulder. It was a true guardian angel, and even though I hadn't always seen her, she was always looking over.